Good morning, church. Let's, uh, let's pray once more so I can pray for myself and pray for you as we get into God's Word. Um, God, we come before you. We thank you that we can approach your throne with confidence and, and by your grace we can hear your words by your spirit. Um, by your spirit we can approach you. By your spirit we can hear you and be changed. By your spirit we can find life. And uh, So I pray that your words would be open to our eyes and to our hearts today. Would you speak loudly? Uh, would you change our hearts? Uh, and would you help us to, to see your love for us and, and help us to love you more? So God, I thank you. And I pray this in your son's Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So um, just as Pastor Fred was praying earlier, we prayed for um, Afghanistan. And if you haven't heard what's been going on um, this week, the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. And it's not a good situation for the country as a whole. Uh, and, it's not, and it's even a worse situation for particular groups of people within the nation. I mean, I read articles uh, and, and it was titled, like, The Need to Pray for Afghan Women in a Time Like This. And I'll just read uh, one of the quotes or just uh, an excerpt from that, past, um, from that uh, article. It says, of course, even before the Taliban took over, Afghan women's lives were hard. The lives of Afghan women just grew harder. Um, and as the Taliban consolidates its power, we expect Afghan women to recede uh, further beyond the public eye. And most will become even more invisible behind their veils, in their homes, and without an education or voice. And there was another, another article that I read that said uh, there were stories that told of a 14-year-old daughter. She was ripped from her, her arms, uh, uh, from her parents' arms and forced into sexual servitude in, in what the Taliban would dub as marriage and in her dutiful Islamic uh, privilege and responsi responsibility. And so um, as we see things unfold, um, you know, I think there are a lot of things that we're unhappy with, and maybe with maybe it's just uh, you know the government and this and that. But let's just put that aside and and, and see what's going on. And and, and for these groups of people, uh, specifically the the women and children, it's it's a lot worse uh, for them. Um, and if it wasn't even, and if that wasn't bad enough, we, there, there's also reports, uh, you know, I've I, I read other articles where it says the Taliban are going door to door to find women, children, and Christians. And, and with Christians, they're looking to execute them. And so there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of running away. There's a lot of hiding for a lot of Christians. Um, they're, they're, they're literally staring in the face of death uh, in, in, these, in, these, in this past week. And I may have saw a tweet or, or some post where uh, it says something to the extent of many of our brothers and sisters uh, will see the face of Jesus within the next two weeks. And so it was, it was I guess it was God's providence, but yeah, it was what we, what we see when I was reading uh, the book of Esther and as we, uh, we see these events unfold. And I was like, man, this is exactly what's going on here in uh, the story of Esther where we find the Jews in this similar situation. Um, and, the, and the Jews in the, in the book of Esther, they're, they're staring at the face of death as well. And it was well, not as imminent as the, as the Afghan Christians, but, um, it, but it's been decreed by the king uh, for their death to happen. It's been decreed by the king that, that they will die soon. 
And so at the beginning of the chapter that was just read, we, we read that the Jews in all the king's provinces were in mourning. They were crying, they were mourning, they were weeping, they were fasting. They, and so, so for them, it was a dark time. For them, they were staring at the face of, uh, at the face of death. For them, there was this time where there was, it really seemed that God was absent for them. Because before, even before the decree of their death happened, they were already uh, cast aside. They were already, you know, even though we know that um, the, the Jews, they were able to go back to their land out of the exile. But, you know, they were still uh, feeling the effects of exile. So during this time, God may seemingly have been absent uh, and this is why it's so important that the story like Esther is so important to, to its readers because God, while seemingly absent, was still actively uh, providing care for his people. Uh, while God was seemingly absent, God was still in their lives each and every day. So as we look at the story of Esther, we will see God's providential care for, this, for his people and specifically, we're going to look at three things of how God's providential care for his people. He, by, by first, he provides a, through unseen ways. Secondly, he provides uh, a savior. And the third thing, God's providential care for his people, he provides uh, a, a way out of death. And so that's where we're going to go today. And so the first point that we, we're going to see here is God provides through unseen ways. So not once is God mentioned in the book of Esther. Um, but God had his hand throughout the whole book. And so why don't you look with me at, at, at Esther 4, uh, verse 14. And that first four, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, perfectly describes what we've been saying. Perfectly describes how God has been absent, yet his hand is in their, in, in their lives. And so Esther 4.14 says, And who knows whether you have, come, have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so to kind of understand this phrase, to understand uh, what's going on and why, why Mordecai says this, um, you kind of have to understand what's going on uh, within the whole book of Esther. And so if you're unfamiliar with the book of Esther, I want to give you a quick recap uh, of Esther. And so the book starts off with the king of Persia. He throws these two parties, uh, which last for 187 days. Like, like think about that. Uh, two parties last 187 days. Um, Astrid's birthday is coming up. She's turning one in like two weeks, and I don't even really want to think about planning a little party or get together for her. I mean, that's just how lazy I am. But I mean, that's going to be like two hours of a party, three hours of a party, and I don't even want to do that. But 187 days of a party, that's crazy. This, is, this, is, this really just shows the power and wealth of, of the king. And, uh, but yeah, he throws this huge party. And at the end of this huge party, uh, these two parties, the, the, the king, he wants to decide, he, he decides he wants to show off the queen. He wants to show off his wife. And, uh, and so he demands her presence. And he, he asks her to, you know, to come and, and to, to, to be in front of all his guests. Um, and, and, you know, the king, and so, so what happens is she, she declines. She doesn't want to. She refuses. She doesn't show up. And, of course, the king, in all of his greatness and all of, uh, you know, at the end of this party, you know, trying to entertain his guests, he is embarrassed. He's humiliated. Um, and, and so what happens is because of what uh, the queen did, uh, he, he decides to banish her and never wants to see her again. And I'm, I'm pretty sure she was Happy to oblige with that at that time, but uh, but but that's what happened, and so so time goes by, and the king's servants suggest, "Hey, king, you should go and find a new queen." 
And so he's like, sure, and that's what happened. So, so then what we see is there's this whole process of trying to find a new queen for the king. Um, and all of these women were brought in, and, and it was almost like this beauty pageant that went on for a whole year. Um, in, in the book, it says uh, there was this beautifying process that took a whole year, uh, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if they bathed in oil or whatever. I don't know what happened. But after this beauty, beautifying process, uh, you know, Esther, uh, the, the, you know, what we hear is Esther that she uh, specifically, it says, was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And so she was made queen out of all the women that were in this contest. And, and think about this. She was a Jew. She wasn't supposed to be there. She wasn't supposed to uh, be acknowledged. And she was kind of the outcast of the society being a Jew. Uh, but yet uh, the one who was the one who's supposed to be disrespected was put in a place of this most respectful uh, uh, position. And so she was made queen. And then next in this story, the story introduces Haman, and, and what we see is that uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, he, uh, it says that he was uh, uh, expecting all the king's servants to bow down to him. I, I, don't know, um, I don't know why he did that. He was just a super prideful guy. And, uh, but what happens here is Mordecai, and Mordecai being Esther's kind of cousin, um, he refuses to bow down uh, to, uh, to, to Haman. And so Haman, he, he throws a fit and comes up with a plan uh, to, kill all, to kill Mordecai and all of his people. Um, and so he somehow uh, convinces the king to give him the permission to kill all the Jews. And so if you look at Esther 3.13, uh, it, it says that letters were sent out by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews young and old, women and children. And so that's all the events that, lead, that has led up to what, uh, what, what John has read earlier. In the beginning of chapter 4, we see uh, the mourning of all the people. We see Mordecai mourning. And somehow he's able to get Esther's attention. And I think it was his plan to try and get Esther's attention because uh, what's happened here is he, once he does get her attention, he commands her, uh, he commands her to, go, uh, to go to the king and plead for her people. And, and so what we, what we read and what we saw is that Esther was a little bit hesitant to go. And she was like, well, I don't know. I haven't seen the king in 30 days, and um, I, don't want, I, I, might be, I might die if I approach him. And so she just basically said, uh, long story short, no, I don't want to go. And, um, and this is where we find ourselves when Mordecai tells Esther, well, and who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Because Mordecai has just, set, has just finished saying, hey, you know what? Deliverance is coming for the Jews. Deliverance is coming for the Jews, and God has placed you where you are and in this place for this exact reason. And so throughout the book of Esther, there are many of these coincidences, or you could say um, there are all of these carefully orchestrated events. Multiple times there are people at the right place at the right time. Uh, Mordecai, he's at the right place at the right time where he hears the, the, the king's servants, the eunuchs, scheming to kill him. And so he saves the lives of the king. He saves the life of the king. 
And then then later on in the story, the king can't fall asleep. And so he he has his servants read a book, uh, read from the book of memorable deeds. And so in, in, that, in that time, the, the, the servants randomly read the story, and they, they just happened to read the story of how Mordecai, was sa- Mordecai saved the king. And so, Mordecai, uh, so the king kind of starts to thinking, wait, 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 how, did we ever honor Mordecai? Did we ever, you know, thank him for what he did and how he saved my life? And, um, and then it was in that moment when, when the king found out, hey, we never, we never honored Mordecai, the, the king uh, the, uh, in that same moment, uh, more, uh, Haman, he comes in. Haman comes into the king's quarters, and he's like, hey, I want, to kill Haman, uh, I want to kill Mordecai. But all of a sudden, there's this turn of events where the king goes, hey, why don't you go and honor and parade uh, Mordecai around the city? And so there's all of these stories and situations in the book of Esther where we get to see God's hand in saving his people. But we're so used to all of the big signs, miracles, and, and wonders from all over the Old Testament. And so even thinking back to the series of all the heroes of faith, think about all the stories that we went through. You know, think about the, the you know, we want to see the miracles. We want to see the miracles where uh, the, 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 there's waters on the right side and the left side of the Israelites and there's dry ground on the, sea, the Red Sea. We want to see where the miracles of how the walls of Jericho fall down for no good reason except for the power of God. We want to see the, we want to see the, the, the miracles and the, and the wonders of how God would uh, send fire down and, 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 and consume a, a soaking wet altar. These are the miracles we want to see. These are the miracles where they almost would convince us that God is in our life and God is with his people. And it's easy to see God at those moments. But through the book of Esther, there's no big sign. There's, there's, there's no big wonders. So Esther, the book of Esther is trying to say, hey, God's hand is in your life. Even when God seems absent, he is still there protecting his own people. The book of Esther, it was said that it was written in a way where it invites his readers to look for God. During the time of Esther, the Jews, they were still being oppressed. They were still being persecuted. And so they had to look for God. And, and so um, God seemed absent. You know, so um, I think Esther, um, Astrid, she recently started to crawl. Um, I think even just this week, uh, she started to, you know, move away from her play mat and started crawling into the dining room and to the kitchen and um, and so, so here's the thing. She should have been crawling like months ago. Uh, I think there was that. Um, I think there was that phrase of uh, the Chinese people say, uh, seven months you you start you sit, and eight months you start crawling, and nine months you have teeth." And if you if you're familiar with that, well, uh, Astrid she sat at like month five. So I was like, "Oh yeah, you're an advanced child. You know, you're an advanced kid. You're you're sitting up early." Um, but. Crawling and teeth never showed up until what was this like month like, like her birthday birthdays in uh, in two weeks and so and I was fine with that I was okay with her slow development because a lot of people were saying hey you know what like you know once she starts crawling it get you know it's really tiring you have to watch her you have to like you know get her and this and that and so I was okay with her developing a lot slower and um, and 
But here's the thing. When she started crawling this week, I was like, hey, this is actually not that bad. Like, what happened was, you know, before she started crawling, I would have to entertain her, throw toys at her, and, you know, try and move her around and, and just try to keep her entertained because she, screech, she screeches at the top of her lungs if she doesn't, if she's not entertained. And I guess she gets that from me. And so hopefully down the line she's able to sing and whatnot. But it was, it was more tiring when she, when I had to entertain her. But now she's crawling. She's all over the place. And here's the thing. I love it because I get to just sit there and just do nothing and watch her. Um, it's not as tiring. I don't know. Maybe she's going to go crazier later on. But, but for now, this past week, it's been nice. I would just sit there and watch her. She crawls around. She makes her loops. And, um, but here's the thing. I'm not like far off away. I, I'm not just, you know, okay, I'm going to leave you there. You call wherever you want the house, and I go cook dinner or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, away, and I go use the bathroom and whatever. I'm not, you know, just leaving her on the second floor, and I go to another floor. Um, and in the same way, I, 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 it seems like, I, hey, maybe I'm not paying attention to her. I'm not in her life just because I get to sit back and relax a little bit. Well, in the same way, we feel like God sometimes, hey, God is, he, he's not a God who is far away. He's not a God who is not in our life. Because here's the thing, if Astrid was going to be in trouble, I would go and get her. If she, gets, she got close to the stairs, I would go and move her away. Or I would like to drag her by her feet and she starts laughing. That's the best thing, right? And, uh, but, I, but in those times, I'm there if she needs it. I'm there watching her. I'm there close uh, closely um, in her life. So God is not a faraway God. He doesn't allow us to handle the situations in our lives by ourselves. And God, he's not absent in our life. And, and here's the thing, I don't think God is sitting back and relaxing like I am. He, he's a much better father than, than I will ever be. If anything, I think that this analogy of Astrid crawling starts to break down a bit because, if anything, God has, doesn't take a step back, but rather he takes a step close, uh, takes a step, uh, um, uh, step forward in closeness with us. He does the opposite of, of, of sitting back. Because in Christ, because of Jesus, uh, what he has done in Christ, he takes a step deeper into our world. In John chapter 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have this ever-present help. We have this ever-present God who loves and cares for us in every way of our life. And, and we notice because God has sent Jesus into our lives, and he is there whether we see him or not. We know that God is with us because he has sent Jesus. And so this kind of leads us to our second point where God's providential care, uh, through his providential care, he sends a savior. And so spoiler, yes, Jesus is God's savior. But, but, but let's go back to the book of Esther to see what kind of savior God provides. Because yes, the, the Sunday school answer is yes, Jesus is the answer. God sends Jesus. But what kind of, Jesus, uh, what kind of savior is Jesus? And so we, from the book, we see two things about the savior that God sends. The Savior we see in Esther is a Savior who risks her life, and secondly, a Savior who submits to God. And so Esther, she, she, she risks her life in two different ways. First, we see that Esther is the one, she, he, she identifies with her people. 
she identifies with her people. And so um, at the very beginning of the book, when, when, when Esther has made queen, or through the whole process of becoming queen, uh, we hear Mordecai tell Esther, hey, don't reveal yourself as a Jew. Um, Esther chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Esther had not made known to her people or kindred, for Mor- uh, made, had, made, had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And again, this is, like I mentioned, this is because um, the Jews were a minority group and it was discriminated against all the time in all kinds of ways. And so maybe if Esther had revealed her Jewish roots, um, she would not have become queen. And it, it was a, it, um, but, but it was time for her to go to the king and, and appeal for her people. And so this time, at this time, she had to identify her, her she had to identify who she was. Um, and, and, and when she does that, she, she becomes one of the people that is supposed to die. And so that's one way she risks his life, and, uh, and, and, and not only does she uh, risk her life by identifying as a Jew, uh, but the, the, another way that she, could, she, she risks her life is by approaching the king. And so she needs to approach the king to, um, to, approach the king to, 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 to appeal for her people. But it was against the law for anyone <clears throat> to approach a king without being summoned, and it was a law that if you did that, um, you could be punished um, by death. Uh, but there are two ways. There are two ways to approach a king without dying. <coughs> Sorry. There are two ways to approach a king without dying. Uh, one way is that you can make a request. And you, go, you can make a request. You come before the king, and he would approve that, approve that request, and then you could be uh, in front of the king. And that was one option, but, but that really wasn't an option for Esther because she really had to go and, and be in front of the king. And so there, there wasn't... Um, a, a possible way for, for to make a request and, and have the king re- uh, reject that. So at the same time, the, the urgent was, you know, the, the, the matter, uh, the, the matter uh, was too urgent for her to not go. So if anything, she just had to go to the king. And if, if she appeared before the king without getting approval, um, you know, she was at the mercy of the king at that moment. And if the king decides to, to, to extend out his scepter, then that means that he will let the person live. And so that was Esther's plan. That was Esther's plan to just go to the king, not requesting it, and just showing up without getting permission and hope that the king would extend his scepter and hope that he would let her live. And so that's why in verse 14, uh, ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Then I will go, this is Esther saying, Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And so the, 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 the Savior that, that God sends is one who is willing to risk her life. Esther was willing to risk her life for her people, knowing that she is at the mercy of her husband. And here's the thing. She's at the mercy of her husband, who's not so fond of her at the moment. If you guys remember, Esther goes, you know what? I haven't been summoned by the king for 30 days. I I haven't been in his presence. But it did take some convincing for Esther to get there, to get, it did take some convincing for Esther to get to this point of saying, if I perish, I perish. And, and this is where we see that we get, uh, we, we see that God provides a Savior who submits to God. So, so we have a Savior who risks his life, but also we have a Savior who submits. Because if we read in verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 4, we'll, we, when you guys look at this, 
we see that Esther is hesitant to approach the king. <coughs> um, we see in response to Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, God's plan is to save his people. And as we read, uh, this plan includes you. And he has put, and, 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 and what happens is, uh, you know, Mordecai says, he has put you in this position to save your people. So Esther submits, and she follows God's plans of salvation and deliverance. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is, I will follow God's call even if it means death. So we see uh, Esther risking her life by submitting to God's plans for her. And I mentioned before, you know, Esther is just the shadow of God's ultimate Savior. And that, and, that was, and that was the whole thing about this whole series of these heroes point to Christ as the ultimate hero. And so Keller, he puts it this way. He, Keller puts it this way as Esther. He goes, Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing her earthly palace but lost the ultimate heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He said, when I perish, I perish to save his people. So we have a king who submits, who risks his life. Because in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, my, my father, in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You guys see that Jesus, he doesn't just submit to God's plan knowing that he might die. No, no, no. He submits to God's plan knowing that he will die. And to go even further, he, Jesus submits, submits to God's plan and God's will, knowing that his physical death that's coming for him, the physical death of being flogged, of being tortured on the cross, and the death on the cross, <clears throat> Jesus submits knowing that this physical death that he's about to encounter is nothing compared to the suffering that he will encounter from the, for the punishment of sin that he is about to take on. And this is what it looks like for a savior to risk his life and to give his life and to submit to the will of God. Jesus is the, is the savior who gave up his life so that God's people may escape death that was meant for them. And this leads us to our last point. Last point is God's providential care gives us a way out of death. And so as we end our passage, so as we saw in, in, in at the end of our passage, we read that, that, that Esther does escape death. Uh, so let's, uh, I want you guys to look at uh, Esther chapter 1 verses, uh, chapter 5 verses 1 through 3, right? And on that third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner courts of the king's palace in the front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside, throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And when Esther approached, he touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. And this is such a strange turn of events. You guys think about this. Esther, Esther goes from not being summoned for 30 days by not being summoned by the king for 30 days to being shown mercy and offered up to half his kingdom. 
So while the king really isn't offering up to half his kingdom, he's, do, he's, he's making this big gesture um, and, and saying, I will do something big for you, Esther. Um, and we, we, we see the same big gesture um, that is made by someone in the New Testament. If you remember, in Mark chapter 6, um, King Herod, he says the same thing to Herodias' daughter. Um, and, and, and that, she, uh, he goes, you know, I will give you up to half my kingdom. If you read that, read that in Mark chapter 6. And, and what happens is that she eventually goes uh, and requests that uh, John the Baptist to be killed. And, and so King Herod, he felt like he had to follow through because of this big gesture that she made. And, and so he offered up uh, uh, John the Baptist's head on a plate, if you guys remember. And so, so we know that King Xerxes in this, in this story, that, it, that, that he's not just saying this just for show, but he is actually, uh, and he really would honor her request and whatever she asks. And that's crazy to think that, hey, she goes from not even seeing the king to winning his favor again. Those same words, winning favor. She had favor in the sight of God in that moment. Again, all of these events and all these things, they tie together when she, how she won favor at the beginning of the story of Esther. So it is until the chapter 8 where, where we see Esther pleading with the lives of her people and the king, the king agrees with her request. And if you haven't had time to read, if you have time uh, to read through Esther, you, I, I encourage you to do so. And you'll see all of these providential events that God, um, that God does and, and brings together before um, Esther makes her requests. And all of these make, makes, makes it possible. So we see Esther, she, she, her life is spared. She, she's able to uh, touch the, the, the golden scepter. And we see that the Jews are also spared at the request of Esther. But there's also one more group that benefits from Esther's actions and Esther's requests. And that group is us as believers here today. Because we too, as believers in Christ and believers in Jesus, we too get to escape the death uh, because of what Esther did. Because you see, if, if, if Haman's plan to eradicate all of the Jews and all of the province of this king, then Christ would never have been born. If you think about that, the, the, the decree was to annihilate all the Jews, men, women, children, and all of the lands of this king. So essentially, all the Jews would have been wiped out. And if that happened, Christ would never have been born. And if Christ would never have been born, then we would still be in our sin and we would never benefit from the gospel of Jesus Christ here today. And we would still be stuck in our sins. We would be still stuck on this path that is, that is going to lead us to hell. So it is important for us to see that God is orchestrating all of these events to accomplish his plans. He's orchestrating all of these events to provide a way out of death for all of his people. God's plan of salvation through Christ was, was not going to be thwarted by Haman. His God's plan of salvation for all, people, uh, for all of his people was not going to be thwarted by anyone or anything in anywhere. And that's exactly why Mordecai said in, four, uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. People have different interpretations for what that means. But basically what, what Mordecai is saying is God's plan will happen. God's will will happen. Salvation will rise up for his people. 
So God provides a way out of death through all these orchestrated events here in the book of Esther and throughout all of history. And even now, God is advancing and expanding his kingdom and his plans. And his plans won't be thwarted by evil. It won't be thwarted by immorality. It won't be thwarted by disobedience. And here's the thing. God's plans won't be sidetracked, not even by our disobedience. And I think this is one of the challenges that you, challenges that you and I can take from the cha- uh, is this. And the challenge is, will you and I, uh, you know, will you and I advance God's kingdom in our own lives? Or will we just sit idly by when God calls us to go? Will we give excuses like Esther? Will we, will we give excuses like Esther like she, like she did in the beginning? Or will we understand that we are part of the, we have a role in God's plan of salvation? So do you have this kingdom mindset? And what I, what I mean by having a kingdom mindset, we usually think of evangelism as a checklist. We usually think of sharing the gospel as a thing that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to share the gospel with my classmates. I'm supposed to share the gospel with my coworkers. So instead of thinking evangelism as something that we're supposed to do or need to do, we need to see that God is advancing his kingdom. We need to see that God is, is advancing his kingdom around us. God's plan is happening around us and in the, in the people around us. So he is actively involved in orchestrating events around and throughout our lives. So your coworker, she, that, that, that he or she, she's not just someone who, that you just need to share the gospel with. No, instead you must see that God is working in their lives. So will you take part in what God is doing? Your, your friend in, in your algebra class or whatever class that you're in, it's not just a checklist. They have pain and suffering that God wants to deal with. Your family member needs to experience reconciliation and restoration in their life. Your coworker is battling, might be, isn't just someone that you need to share Jesus with, but rather they're, they're, they're battling depression and loneliness, and God wants you to step into their pain. And yes, God wants you to share the gospel of, and the good news of Jesus Christ, but maybe that comes later down at, at some point in time. We forget that making disciples is going on a journey with people. Making disciples is walking alongside people, knowing what's going on in their lives, and showing them, showing them that God wants to save them, redeem them, restore them, and showing them that God is there in their life right now. And so God is advancing his kingdom all around us. He's offering a way out of death to all to, to, to people around us, to all, the, to all those who accept and, and, and no one's going to stop him from what he's doing. There's nothing that can thwart his plans. There's nothing that can throw him aside. He is active in our lives. He is active in the lives in our own lives and the lives of those around us. And he cares for us and cares for people in our life. And he provides salvation for all to come to him through Christ. So will you be the one who leads them to, to, to God? So let's pray. So Jesus, we come before you knowing that you have been God's plan, that you are God's Savior. You save us out of death. You take us out of that if we come to you. 
So God, I pray that you would help us to live for you in your kingdom. Uh, would you help us to know that you have us in this place and that you are orchestrating things in our lives uh, to save those around us. So would you help us to live for those, to live for your name, to live for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.